are looking at the area of the bondage in the sexual area. And that is a major, major attack in America uh, amongst uh, God's workers, if you know. And uh, two major men just recently lost their ministries in America, both of them very, very outstanding men through sexual difficulties. In fact, I got a telephone call just before they confronted one of the men, and I really was sick about it. I just felt so bad. There's another uh, scientist. Uh, this fellow is very, very uh, physical, athletic. In fact, he came down in front of uh, 14,000 people, put his head on my shoulder, and stopped so started sobbing, crying. I realized that, you know, that that's not a help. So that, in fact, that could be a hindrance when I try to battle in the flesh. It says, Dear Jim, I say dear with more feeling than just the standard letter greeting. Even though our personal meeting was very brief and not much longer, this guy was in a sexual addiction all his life, and all I had was an hour and a half with him. I am closer to you than most other people I know. Well, I guess I'm closer to you because God used you to release me from my bondage of sin. I hope this is a common theme in the letters you receive, that, is a, that it is a continuous celebration in the Lord for his granting us victory over sin in our lives. Before I continue, I will back up and maybe remind you who I am, because we see so many people. I mean, when you meet from the afternoon on up to now, I clearly see when I'm presented with a choice to sin, the power of God in my life and the privilege from God to choose to reject Satan's life and to live according to the truth. I will admit sometimes I toy with temptation longer than I should, but praise God, and by his grace, I have not fallen into my old sexual addiction since we met together. And this was like four months after this fellow came to freedom, which he was being defeated at least weekly, if not oftener. I guess it must be obvious to you, but it's amazing to me to see that when the strong man, me, is released, he or I can responsibly protect his goods. Remember we said in the Compu Bible, the goods is the wife? In the Bible study there, when the strong man's bound, Satan attacks the wife. Uh, protect his goods. My wife still marvels over the reduction in attacks upon her. Until he heard me speak, she never thought that her attacks was because her husband's defeat. Our younger son never wanted to pray out loud before. Since my freedom, he always wants to pray, in the morning, at noons, at night, and in the bed, and even spontaneously. The attitude of our children has been dramatically changed, and from, from often whining and selfishness to now more often loving each other without complaining and giving. Until a few weeks ago, I would have to battle mostly by ignoring Satan's tax when he reminded me that I enjoyed my sin and still would if I would allow myself the opportunity. We have to realize that, don't we? That's a major truth he's saying here. Freedom does not mean that the pleasure of sin is removed from me. Do you understand? You know, because you choose to fast doesn't mean that thinking about an eclair with chocolate and stuff running out of it, it's going to lose its pleasure. You know what I'm saying? It does. But when God revealed to me that as his child and a new man, my desires and likes cannot ever possibly include sin. So obviously now, even those desires or the thoughts or the desires or memory are not mine, but Satan. You know, he's way ahead now when he realizes that when these thoughts come in, well, you know you like that. You've done it for years and all this kind of stuff. He realizes this is not me. I don't want to do that. This is of the enemy. Now it's even easier to partake of the manifold grace of God. Now here is another thing he states that is a good, insightful thing. In our meeting, I briefly mentioned that sexual bondage was widespread in my family. 
Now we're talking about the ancestral stuff because he couldn't remember when he wasn't driven with all these sexual stuff as a little kid. And he said, is it normal for a little kid to have all these sexual... He said, it was awful, the sexual things that I had going on in my mind and, and wanting to act out and all this kind of stuff. I have since spoken to my father and my brothers of my new freedom. I believe they're all Christian. My pleas and invitations seem to go right past my father without his grasping the least bit of what I'm hinting at. One brother who later I found out was committing the same self-defilement that I was. And this fellow, sexual addiction, I said, you know, I'm amazed. I thought I've heard it all, but this is a new one. It's the weirdest sexual addiction that I've ever, ever experienced with anybody. This guy was in a real awful kind of... You know, we had, uh, we had one college student that he had a, to... Uh, uh, make a, uh, his feces on the floor and then pick it up with his hand and put it in the toilet. Uh, and the, you can imagine how degrading that was. That these thoughts would come over him and everything. And this fellow is now a missionary and has been in victory for years. But can you imagine how degrading that is? And when he told me he cried just to have to tell me what was going on. And you know that's not unusual. I mean, there's the enemy, when he gets a hold of somebody, causes them to do demeaning, demeaning type things and then tells them what a rotten people they are. You know, that they do these demeaning things. This guy had a terrible demeaning thing. He said, uh, he said, remember this was his brother. He said, I found out my brother was committing the same self-defiling type stuff I was. And this is the first time I ever heard of it. And that wasn't that. It was worse than that. Um, uh, that I heard of. And what I was saying, but sloughed it off with the attitude that he didn't need help. The other brother had been through a lot of counseling groups and a lot of similar uh, ideas, but different words, is incredulous that I've been able to stop so cold and so fast and so victoriously. You know, you need at least five years of counseling to stop something like this. You know, that's the idea. You need to go and go and go and go and go. I tell him it's not me and my action. It's not me and my actions, but it's the free grace of God to every believer. Oh, how I'd like to be used in their lives. You were like you were used in mine to God uh, to be God's instrument of light and to pluck off the scales of their eyes uh, so that they might see that they too could walk in victory. Now let me read a testimony of a missionary son, another sexual one, because we're talking about sexual stuff today. We're in charge of the whole outreach of Eastern Europe, and this is his second prayer letter. The first letter was about rock music and how he got totally demonized through rock music. Demonized, the word demonization means demon-caused passivity. The church in America is demonized. You ever go have missionary services in a church? So who cares, right? The heathen are lost. I don't know. See, it's not a sign of epileptic seizures and people screaming and running all over and breaking chains and pulling their clothes off, although some people do that. The thing is, demonization, you look up the word, you're going to see that the meaning is demon-caused passivity. People don't care. That's a sign of being under attack. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't care. And that is a major attack, because after that comes what? All kinds of activities when I don't care anymore. As, a son of, uh, uh, as the son of a missionary overseas, I got into rock music. Not only the stuff you hear in the radio, but truly evil music. As a result of the music, along with rebellion and various other sins, I gave Satan a foothold in my life. This continued for about ten years. Through all of this, I was blind to the fact that my life was under the control of demonic spirits, and so was his counselor, me. Um, I trained navigators. This kid goes off to the University of Columbia with a 40,000 student body, stumbles into a navigator meeting of two kids that I trained, and they said, you've got spirits, and they set him free, and he calls me and says, Logan, guess what? The fellows you trained set me free.
everything that went on. He's doing a super job. Approximately two years ago, I was exposed to the reality of the existence of Satan in the demonic world. Through counseling, I was set free of bondage and satanic control over my life. My life is now of dedication and service to the Lord Jesus and a new freedom I've never experienced before. For ten years, or eight years, he, he was in bondage. However, I did return to an evil, wicked environment. This is after he became free, he had to go back to the real what? World, the real university, the real evil stuff there. This freedom occurred while I was in college and my roommates were godless unbelievers and he was in a house off campus. My roommates were the ones who had little or no morals, including every kind of evil imaginable. Unfortunately, this included sexual immorality on my bed when I worked at night or was away uh, at home on weekends. Because of the economy, really the Lord's leading, I needed to move back home. My parents are very godly, and the Lord is the head of our household in which we live. I moved home and set up my room in the basement, which included my bed, the one I had at college. Shortly after, I began, and this fellow decided, decided that he wanted to be totally, completely moral free. He had been in self-abuse, and he said, I don't want to be in self-abuse anymore. I really want to walk before God and be a morally pure young man. And I believe that, that's, that God wants me that. I believe I don't want anything that God doesn't want. He said, shortly after, I began having sensual and erotic thoughts while I was laying there trying to go to sleep. And it was like overwhelming sexual stuff would come on him. I had made a commitment to personal moral purity, and these attacks were almost overwhelming. Reciting memory verses seemed to cause these thoughts to disappear. I'm thankful to have been taught the importance of memorizing scripture. Once I fell asleep, I would have the most wicked, vile, vulgar nightmares a person could have. It would violate Ephesians 5.12 to discuss the content of these dreams. But I would awake up in intense fear. My heart would be racing and beating very hard. This gave me great concern because I was trying to walk in the light, but my mind seemed to be in the darkness. It continued night after night for about a month and a half. I just continued to fight with scripture and prayer. Then one weekend, my parents invited my girlfriend to visit. She was to have my room in the basement, and I was asleep on the couch in the living room. As I lay on the couch, all of a sudden I realized I wasn't having erotic thoughts. And in the morning, I woke from the night with no nightmares. My girlfriend shared she had the most terrifying nightmare and lay awake in terror and finally went back to sleep just to have a more terrifying nightmare. And she doesn't have nightmares. Having experienced freedom from the forces of evil, I feel I have gained sensitivity to the work of Satan in his kingdom. And I begin to question the possibility of the bed being demon-possessed. Now, don't fall over that. I left that in there purposely because, I mean, that's the mentality of a lot of people. I called Jim Logan and shared my experience. He explained to me how the Apostle Paul had written the church in Corinth and shared with them that idols are nothing, they can't hear, see, or speak. But he warned them not to sacrifice the idols because in so doing they were sacrificing to demons associated with the idol. See, beds are not demon-possessed, okay? Do you understand that? I mean, don't go out here and say, Logan said beds are demon-possessed. Just missionaries. Now, if I'd have said that Monday, I'd have been speaking to an empty church. <laughs> okay. Uh, see uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 19-21. He gave me instructions to how to pray over my bed and encouraged me to have my father pray with me. That evening, I read Psalm 91 as instructed. This is an excellent chapter. It really is. 
Psalm 91 is a beautiful chapter on spiritual warfare. This is an excellent chapter to read in regarding to a person's home, especially verse 9 through 12. Verse 10b and 11 says, Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all the ways. Then on my knees I verbally dedicated my bed to the Lord God, giving it over to him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his precious blood he shed, I commanded all evil spirits that were associated with my bread because of all the evil that had been committed on my bed um, to leave, and any spirits in or around the house to leave and to go where Jesus Christ would send them. That was over a month ago. I am singing praises to God, sleeping the best I have in a long, long time. My bed is now a sanctuary, a haven of rest. I am so thankful that God has allowed me to discern when the enemy is attacking, or how else can we resist him? My prayer is that the church of Jesus Christ would begin to discern his schemes and teach believers to stand against them. I hope my testimony will be an encouragement to you that as that we as believers do not have to live oppressed lives. We must realize the power, though limited, that Satan has when he is given a foothold. I also trust my experience with my bed will open people's eyes that objects used for evil purposes or that have been dedicated to Satan may have wicked spirits associated with them, like the mass in the mass stores. We just walked by those mass shops down at wherever we... Where were we? It was below Slalala. Where were we? <laughs> okay, Pana Pachal or someplace has a good little restaurant down by the water. Uh, just walk by those things. And if you have any sensitivity at all, those are, those are evil stalls. I mean, there's just evil there that, that permeates from those, those masks. It's not the mask that's demon-possessed. It's what that mask represents. Did I tell you uh, what happened in the Gothard thing? Where people were having a uh, struggle and they found the mask down behind the closet. When they burnt them, the mask screamed. Frightened him out, and Bill put it in his prayer letter. Well, you know, if he said it, you know he's not running off in, in crazy things. We have all kinds of things like that. Strange things that happen when you go to destroy those things that were so associated with the enemy. We know one missionary that was bringing home all this stuff so people could see, you know, how the shaman do their stuff. And the little kid would stand up screaming, night after night after night, pointing, pointing and screaming, but he couldn't talk. And finally they realized what he's pointing at. He was pointing at the box that all the stuff in it they were going to show at churches. You know, this is how they did this. These are knives they used to get blood and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You don't want that stuff. You don't want it. Say, no, we don't want that stuff. You don't need it. If I was a pastor and you brought it in the church, it would be out of the church. You're not going to bring the tools of Satan into this church. It's not, it's not a place for it. You can talk about the enemy. You can talk about the bondage of the people. But we're not going to you know, have those things in our church. You can have real problems. We as the children of God can stand against them and they must go. Anyway, that's his testimony. So there's two different things if you get it. One was an ancestral type thing that was in a family. Everybody's wiped out sexually. Never stood against. Nothing, you know, ever done about it. And every one of the kids growing up have all kinds of terrible sexual addictions. The world would look at this family and say, see, it's genetic. Well, because, see, from little kids, they've had it. It's a genetic thing. No, it's not. It's inequity. It's spirits that have passed on in a family on the kids that were sexual and begin to bombard these little kids with sexual stuff. Oh, I could read you testimony for testimony. File number two is really worthwhile if you take that thing and look at it. And here we have all the material on the mind. How Satan attacks the mind. We um, can go through. Let me tell you what we find out about sexual addiction. Every Christian in sexual addiction draws lines. 
And that is, everything to here is okay. And when I draw a line, what does the enemy do? Pushes me up to the line and I step over it. Then what do I have to do? I have to draw another line because I can't handle the guilt. So I draw another line and eventually what happens? I can't cross that line. And that's when people want help. I just, I can't go any further across that line. Now, I remember I had a Christian worker came in and sat down when I was teaching at the college and he said something that made sense to me, but it didn't my counseling students as I was teaching them how to counsel people with problems. And he sat there and he started with a very presentable problem of financial difficulties. But my spirit told me there's something more than finances. And I just said to him, you know, I perceive that you have a problem that's probably deeper than finances. Uh, would you feel free to talk about it? And he looked down. That's a real hint. And uh, he looked back and I said, I want you to realize something. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you're doing or nothing that you would ever do that would cause me to reject you. If you don't believe that, then don't share with me. And he said, I want to talk to somebody because he had been involved in Christian ministry for years. And he said this statement, Mr. Logan, my perversion is perverted. Do you, do you catch the drift of that one? See, I know I'm in perversion, but everything up here was okay. But now I've stepped over my line and it's not even acceptable to me. That was after 10 years of perversion in Christian ministry. And everybody is being pushed to step over the line. And when they step over the line, they have to make one or two decisions. And I said, we just had a fellow that was going, who's very, very wealthy, was just in our office not that long ago, who was going to come out of the closet. But coming out of the closet, he was going to take hundreds of thousands of dollars and disappear, but leave his family with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because he said, I can't live like this anymore. I just can't live like this. You know, how can I go to church? And it was a sound, uh, solid Bible teaching church. How can I go to this church Sunday after Sunday, year after year, with my secret life? And if I can't have victory, then either I'm going to kill myself and I'm too chicken, or I'm going to give myself over to the lifestyle. And he said, you gave me hope. And another guy in a hotel room called, very wealthy man, called me long distance from another country. And he said, I can't believe what you're telling me is true. Because he said, I read the books. I have a genetic problem. I said, then why are you guilty? Right? And I got brown eyes. I don't feel guilty. You know, if it's a gene thing, why should I feel guilty about a gene thing? And, and, but he couldn't handle it. I mean, they were telling him it was genes, but, it, you know, the Spirit of God wasn't saying it was genes. So he was really having all these struggles. And so we have guys that have been in the most horrible sexual addictions you can imagine, just absolutely hopeless by Christian counseling and by everybody else that have seen them that are now free that I have these guys call on the phone and talk to them. And they will take collect calls and give hope. And they said, there's hope. If you cross-dress and you're not cross-dressing now and you haven't been cross-dressing now for two or three years, then I know there's hope for me. You know, that really you could be free of something like that or pedophilia or whatever it is. Now, let me share what the steps are. In this one, I really, this is a wonderful thing, break it, breaking Satan's control. I'm just telling you, it's not one we're going to go into, but it's by Dr. Victor Matthews, who taught at the Grand Rapids Baptist Seminary, and it's a fantastic, fantastic little page. I mean, these are dynamite, because you don't have to read a whole book. You know, most of us don't have time to read a whole book. It's just sheets. These next three, I'll open this up so I can put them back, and I'll put them back in there. It's worth your getting. Because there's a lot of guys out there that are struggling. What do we do? I, and this can be done by yourself. The most horrible sexual addictions. We had one guy that was so 
sexually addicted. That's the one I got the letter from that I read on the airplane. You know, coming down here was so thrilling because he said, Jim, it's hard for me to believe that God can set me free. He said, I am sexually addicted so bad. The driving force within me is so strong. He said, you can't believe what is going on. It is so awful. I am continually defeated. Continually. He said, every day I'm defeated. And when I fly to another country, it is absolutely terrible. Just absolutely terrible. The things I do are despicable. And yet I'm a Christian leader in my church. And I'm a Christian leader in the Christian community. But this stuff is destroying me and I can't stand it. And, I, and we were up at night. Well, he was taken over by spirits in a very, very non-direct way. We just got involved in documental argu argumentation. And I'm going, this is ridiculous. It's midnight. I'm dead tired. I'm in this hotel. And guy, I can't handle it. You know, I've got to... I'm ministering all week long, early in the morning to late at night, and I'm not going to argue with you about doctrinal stuff. And I knew what was going on. I mean, he didn't have any funny eyes or anything. I just say, this is of the enemy. I mean, here this guy is, is thinking about killing himself, and we're talking about doctrinal issues. You know, it doesn't make sense. It's stupid. And I said, listen, if you want to be free, take this sheet and go to your room and get on your knees. You follow this, and you'll be free if you want to be. He said, thank you. So, <laughs> so he left, and he spent five hours doing this. And this guy came to me and said, Logan, I'm free. Will you come and see my wife? Because she won't believe it. I've gone forward in some of the best churches, and I've wept and everything, and right back into it. But he said, something has left me, and I know it's gone. There's a, a driving force that's not there anymore in my life. I know. And his wife said, Jim, look at his face. He's different. You know, she said, I lived with this guy. There's, she didn't even know the extent, of what, and she didn't even want to know the extent of what was going on, because it was absolutely terrible. And um, she said, look at his face. His face is different. And then he's waited months to send me that, that letter that I read in the airplane. And I, oh, it was, it's a wonderful letter. Just a wonderful letter. Because he can't get away from temptation. You know, you fly into Guatemala, you fly into Singapore, you fly into, you know, these places, and you know what's all there. And it's still there. You know, every place you used to go to is still there. And nobody knows you, basically. But let me give you these steps. What we do to someone, um, we have them go to Romans 6. I think Romans 6 is a tremendous chapter on sexual freedom. The teachings in Romans 6. And the whole chapter of Romans 6 is a spiritual warfare chapter. It really is. You look at that and you see what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about choices I make with my body. And the enemy attacks my body. Why? Because my body is the temple of what? The Spirit of God. And he wants me to defile that temple. Right? And, and to bring this temple into bondage where God wants people to see Christ in this temple. Now, just a... I like Roman... Uh, there's so much, but it's... Well, look, oh, I'm trying to hurry. My tongue won't get with it. Twelve. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. See, sin doesn't have a right to sit on the throne. What did we talk about last night? The key is grace. What is grace? Philippians 2.13 For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Grace is God giving you power and the desire to live a godly life. It's all of grace. I'm not only saved by grace, but I'm kept saved by grace. Victory over sin is a work of what? Grace in my life. And I cannot resist God's grace. See, when I'm hurt, God will give me the power 
to respond to that hurt in a, par in a right way. And if I resist it, what will happen? Bitterness. When temptation comes in my life and I resist God's grace to respond to temptation in a right way, what's going to happen? I'm in trouble, right? I'm in trouble. Because the enemy knows what we saw last night, my secret desires. And so he begins to send things my direction, James 1.14. Those that weren't here last night, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own secret desires and enticed. So the enemy knows my weaknesses, and so he tries to set up things and tries to, to wipe me out with these unnecessary temptations. I can't tell you how smart the enemy is. We had uh, men that come to our town with sexual addictions that have found every single nudie bar that's there, and they're in South Dakota. I didn't know that we had them. I said, one guy had visited three of them on Sunday night. He flew in Sunday afternoon, and he found them. One pastor's son said, when I get in the car, I'll drive in Chicago or Detroit, and in 10 minutes, I'll be down where the nude bars are. I've never been in the town. He had what? Divine guidance. But there's a the wrong divine guidance. You know, we have fellows wanting freedom, and they get overwhelmed to make obscene phone calls. These are ministers and religious leaders and we see more of those kinds of people than we see average people making their last obscene phone calls Sunday night from the motel rooms before they come for counseling. It's just like they're overwhelmed with this, this, this overwhelming stuff to do it. And he says if you yield your body that way you're going to let sin, what? Rain. And I'll tell you when sin is raining and the enemy's got a grip of that it's an awful master. It's an awful master. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves uh, unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members of instrument of righteousness. Because if I yield my body as an instrument of unrighteousness, what's going to happen? I am going to have fruit, he says later in Romans 6, that I'm what? Ashamed of. That now I'm ashamed because I was yielding my body as an instrument of sin. Now let me just share these down in case something should happen. You don't get at least you can write down the five steps. This is called the pathway to sexual freedom. And it works and works and works. It works for homosexuality, female or male. It works for perversion with children. It works with every kind of perversion you can think of. Pedophilia, cross-dressing, and everything in between people have come to freedom by following these steps along with everything that we've done up to this point. What have we talked about? Confessing any involvement in the occult first. The second thing, getting rid of all bitterness in my heart and life. The third, making things right as best as I can, clearing my conscience before God. Dealing with rebellion in my life, which is the sin of witchcraft. And last night, dealing with pride. Because pride causes God's empowering to come off my life. And then, it be, the scripture says, pride comes before what? A fall. And if I have a sexual problem and I'm in pri pride, what's going to happen? I'm going to face a temptation. What am I going to do? Fall. Because I don't have the power of God to resist. And you can only resist so long in the flesh. And then you've had it. So we need the power of God. Okay, the first step. Here they are. There are five steps. The first step, I need to realize that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The enemy does a number on you on that one. See, putting yourself or others down is not going to resolve the bondage. Accusation is one of Satan's tactics. And most definitely, suicide is not God's means of being set free. Most of your one-car one accidents in America of teenagers is suicide. And these kids are in such horrible bondages, they don't know, there's no out, and they can't stand what's happening because it gets worse. Do you know that when 
uh, what's the word I want? Exotic, uh, what's the word? Not exotic, but what's the demonic part of that? <coughs> Erotic, that's the word I'm looking for. When eroticism is involved in sexuality, you can know there's demonic involvement. And once there's demonic involvement in that sexual thing, that person is being driven. And it's horrible. And they, they'll stop, they won't, they won't. But the only way they can relieve the pressure off of them is to do it. And if they do it, like expose themselves, if they expose themselves, then that pressure goes, and then they're okay for a while. And then it builds like the wave of the sea. And they've got to expose themselves because they can't stand all of this. When you let lust reign in your body, it's like a fire, let me tell you, that can never be fulfilled. Lust does not belong in anyone, including a missionary's bedroom. The Lord said, don't let the bed be defiled. You will never be fulfilled if you go the lust route. Never. But if you give to the need of a partner, you can achieve true spiritual intimacy, which is what? Marvelously fulfilling. Really fulfilling. It's a lie of the enemy, you know, that you've got to go the other route and it's not fulfilling at all. The second thing is get alone with a trusted friend and if you don't have a trusted friend, the Lord, sometimes, you know, the friends aren't really trustworthy, ask the Lord to reveal to your mind every time you've used your body as an instrument of unrighteousness, including all sexual sins. And this is important because what are we doing? We're going back to the days that we give ground. And they will go back and they will remember as we're sitting there, we ask the Spirit of God, reveal to this person every time that they've used their body as an instrument of unrighteousness. And a guy says, Logan, we can't pray that. Are you kidding? Do you know what I've done almost daily for the last 40 years? <laughs> we'll be here forever. I'm going, no, no, no. That the enemy has taken as a right to attack you. See, not every moral failure, but God knows what the enemy is using, the topos, he knows where the moral failures the enemy is using. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's more than glad and willing to reveal to you, even as a little child, when this stuff started. And we go right through their life. And we use, usually we say we see a pe person for a week, and this can be, with women, it's not very long. In fact, I don't like doing this with women. I really dread it. I usually have them do it in the motel. I feel it's, it's, it's not... You know, it's not comfortable. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just not right. It's very, here a woman has to, like my wife said, how would you like to go to a male doctor for, for urinary problems? I mean, how would you like to go to a female doctor with the urinary problems? I said, I wouldn't. So I don't like going to male doctors either. You know, it's like that. It's like it's, I'm getting into a personal area of a woman's life, and I don't feel it's right. I don't want no details, but still, you know what I'm saying? It's still hard for her to have to share some of the terrible things her father did to her or brothers or cousins or something. So it's so much better, woman with a woman. That's the third step is verbally respond to each offense as is recalled by saying, I confess whatever sin it was, and I renounce the use of my body. And this particular one says, a pastor spent three hours by himself one afternoon, totally cleansed himself. Uh, afterwards, temptations still come, but the power has been broken. He's now able to say no to sin. If you think this process may take too long, try not doing it. And see how long the rest of your life will seem as you drag on one defeat after another. See, so you take a day or two days if necessary. In a day of, of fasting and prayer, be super. You know, just God, just reveal to me. I want to remember the, the, the substance abuse counselor, the little boy wanted to be a girl. This is what he did. One whole Saturday until he knew before God that he was not a perfect person. He was a cleansed person. 
And then when he prayed for his children, God set his children free. I mean, the ones where they saw the light and all that kind of stuff. Where I hope you don't think I'm teaching perfectionism. I am not. I am teaching, you know, to be cleansed, to walk, keep short accounts with God. Right? You know what I'm saying? That we are not have to reach some place up here. No. Wherever you are right now, you can be cleansed. The fourth, when you finish confessing and renouncing, express the following. I now commit my body as an instrument of righteousness. You know, I submit my body as a living holy sacrifice to you, Heavenly Father, to fill me with your spirit. You know, and if you're married, you could say, for the purpose of sex, I reserve my body to be used only with my spouse, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. But I go stronger than that, than this. When I have someone who's been in sight, now I would just do this for just a regular person. But if someone is being defeated sexually, what I do, I say, would you do this? I want you to go piece by piece of every part of your body that has been controlled by the forces of darkness and I want you to visualize an altar and I want you piece by piece to give that to God. Would you give God your mind? Oh man, my mind's been a cesspool. Give it to God. What about your eyes? And they pray and they say, God, I give you my eyes. Like Job, I don't want to look lustfully on a maid. You know, I, Job made a covenant with his eyes and he gives him his eyes and I've used my mouth I've used my hands in a wrong way. I've used my feet. They've gone to wrong places. Lord, and this is hard for some fellows, but they feel real good about it. Lord, I dedicate my sexual parts to you to be used for your glory. It's hard for fellows to believe that. I, I, I say this to the fellows. What would you do if you were having a physical relationship with your wife and the Lord Jesus walked in? I'd die. <laughs> I'd stop. I said, you know what the Lord would do? Howard Hendricks said this years ago when I was at a pastor's conference. He said, you know what the Lord would do? He put his hand on your shoulder and say, bless you, enjoy yourself. You know, he designed it. He's not shocked. But he wants it used in a proper way. Do you understand? It's, it's to be used in a right way. And the enemy prostitutes that stuff. And we, we think of it as dirty. Why? Because our culture has taught us a lot of stuff that's wrong. And then I say, would you give God your sex drives? And they lay that on the altar and they say, God, I give myself totally and completely to you. Would you fill me with your spirit and would your spirit control these parts of my body that the enemy has influenced for so many years? And that's why these guys get excited when they walk out of there because what you give to God, he guess what he does? He keeps. And don't ever give to God anything that he can't keep. Laterno came to our church. I know we're running over a little bit, so you can get angry at me. Laterno, Laterno came to our church. Remember Laterno gave his whole business to God, and then God made him a multimillionaire, and because he had so much money, he tithed 90% and kept 10% for himself. So uh, Jay Vernon McGee was our pastor, and this guy was in our church, and he liked it real well. So he went to see Pastor McGee, and he came in, and he said, remember when Laterno was here? And he said, yeah. He said, remember he talked about us giving our business to God? And he said, yes. He said, I did that, and God took it. <laughs> you know don't ever give God anything if he doesn't have a right to you give your children to God does he have a right to take them home early see he does can you trust him it all goes back to this can we really trust him do we know who he is you got to have a seminar here on somebody who teaches who God is That's, most Christians don't know who God is 
You know, if you could just have somebody to go through a week and just who God is and his, his awesomeness and his character and all that, it'd be a, I'd come almost. <laughs> you know, I'd love it. J.I. Packer or somebody to, to come in here and who is the Father and what is he all about? And the fifth thing is choose to believe the truth, that you're alive in Christ and you're dead to sin. There will be times when temptation will seem to be overwhelming, but you must declare your position in Christ at that moment when you're first aware of the danger and say with authority that you no longer have to sin because you're in Christ. Then live by faith according to what God says is true. It's in here. And, what a, and then this one is really helpful. Healing distorted sexual developments. Some of us had a very bad introduction to sex as little children. And it's really done a lot of damage. And here is a biblical steps to deal with that, to put it where it belongs and to go on. And that's in this section I said it'd be worthwhile for you getting. <laughs>